Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. We've got J.J. Cooper and Josh Norris here today. And we're continuing our AL Central series today. We're talking Tigers prospects. We're talking Tigers farm system, Tigers path going forward. We're talking Detroit today. If you stick around at the end, we'll also have a little talk on the Alex Jackson trade from last night. It's not every day that the uh, a top 10 pick from a draft just a couple of years ago gets traded, so we're going to analyze that as well. Although but it's happened more in recent years. It does happen more often. I mean, Dylan Tate got dealt this year. It, Clint Frazier got dealt this year. Mark Appel got dealt pretty, pretty recently. Yeah, it's, it is true. It is happening more often. Um, Dansby Swanson. Dansby Swanson. And we got, then don't forget the Trey Turner rule. Yes. You know, he was traded before he was even allowed to be traded. Well, look, two, two of the recent number ones have been traded. Yeah, Dansby Swanson and Mark Appel. Yep. So... But, uh, but today we're going to talk Tigers. And so Josh Norris wrote our Tigers Top 10. He's finishing up our Tigers Top 30 for the Prospect Handbook, which is a reminder, as always, it's a good time to subscribe. BaseballAmerica.com slash store. You can subscribe to the magazine, see all the Top 10s that we posted so far. The A's is the most recent one to come up. So we're almost done with the American League. Um, we're coming up on the halfway point of all the Top 10s being up. We're finishing up the handbook. If you want to get, we'll pre-order your Baseball America Prospect Handbook, you'll be one of the first to get it. You'll get the 31st prospect as well, because we do an additional prospect for every team. That's the supplement that you only get if you order the Baseball America Prospect Handbook from Baseball America. But talking Tigers here, Josh, and I guess the first question I'd ask is, is I mean, this really does feel like it's a very different offseason for Detroit than any of the last four, five, I guess I would say. I mean, Detroit has consistently been a team that begins the season looking to contend in what surprisingly has been a dominant league, I mean, a dominant division. The AL Central is a division that just keeps spitting out world, you know, uh, AL champs after AL champs. So they're, they've consistently contended. As we go into the middle of the offseason here, as we get ready for the winter meetings, look at it right now. Detroit's clearly behind Cleveland right now. And the noise coming out of Detroit is, is that they may take a step further back rather than a st- spend money to be a step closer to Cleveland. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, I mean, their their payroll is, is way up there. And it doesn't sound like their owner really, uh, Mike Illich, wants to uh, commit another one of those big eight, nine-figure contracts to, the, to the, the payroll to keep doing this. And I think it's time they're going to start breaking down. They're going to start trading, you know, guys like Victor Martinez if they can, J.D. Martinez if they can, uh, you know, any of those guys to get creative and make uh, payroll flexibility and get a little younger and get a better farm system. And and with that also, I mean, it it's at least even conceivable now. You look at Miguel Cabrera's contract, it goes on for a very long time. Miguel Cabrera is still a great, great player, but is at least conceivable now that Miguel Cabrera could be traded, which is something that I think you would say would be uh, has never been on the radar for since basically since they acquired him from the Marlins in a theft. They can only be described as a theft of I many years ago. I would put it as maybe the best trade of all time. Um, I think it's, it's up there in, in that discussion for a different podcast. But I would it, probably go Babe Ruth, the selling of Babe Ruth. Yeah, probably that's a, that's a sale. That's yeah, for, it's still it's for theatrical considerations to be named later. Um, but this is a team that also found a way to trade Prince Fielder mm-hmm. a few years back, and that was and worked out very well. Yes, that worked out very well. And that that would not. I mean, they've traded. I mean, this is a team that's traded guys. I mean, they traded David Price. I mean, this is a yeah. team that, and that's where if you look at the farm system right now, this farm system's not. It's Matt Manning's number one, Kristen Stewart's number two, Bo Burrow's number three. Matt Manning at one. That's a, that's a that's. I would say that's not an atypical number one. That's a, You probably would ideally, to put it in perspective, I did the Astros list, and on the Astros list, uh, Forrest Whitley, who fits in the same descriptions as Matt Manning, high school right-hander, first-round pick this year, with uh, significant ceiling, but obviously far a long way away. Whitley was, I believe, five on the Astros list. That's a good system. He's one on here. But really, it's where you get to Stewart at two, Burroughs at three, that you really get into, this is a thin system. Yeah. I mean, Manning, my two systems are obviously the Tigers and the Yankees. 
and I had very easy decisions to make on number one at both of them. I mean, Glaber Torres and Matt Manning, those didn't take Right, you didn't have, there, there, was, no, there was no case, there's no real case that you're going to say Kristen Stewart, who is closer to the majors, but that's yes. pretty much the only <laughs> argument for him over Matt Manning. Better hitter than Matt Manning, too. He's a better I, hitter, yes. Yes. Um, but no, Matt Manning is a, he's a good uh, number one prospect. He might be in our top 100. He should be in our top. He will be in our top 100. I'm, yeah, saying, I mean, I'm I, confident in saying that. Yeah, I don't like to commit to those things, but... Yes. Yes, he will. Um, Kristen Stewart, you know, had a, a very good year. You know, he had a, he had big showed big-time power, uh, the makings of an offensive uh, impact uh, type of player. But there are deficiencies, you know, he does... Defense is a little bit of an issue. Yes, yes it is, and he does strike out a bit. Um, you know, he's, he's t- to put it, they put it to me, he's adequate defensively, which might be overselling it um, a little bit in the outfield. That's overselling it. He is inadequate defensively, I will say. I've talked to multiple scouts. I'm just saying that's the way the Tigers... Right, I'm saying, but multiple scouts who are not in the Tigers organization who have described him as a defensive liability. I think that is a pretty fair way to put it, is that you hope that he becomes a playable left fielder. Yeah, right now, I mean, we put, you know, outfielder by his name, but you could put designated hitter there. DH is really, I mean, you, again, you, you hope that he can continue to improve, but right now he's a DH more than a left fielder yeah. at the major league level. And then you know, number number three here, Bo Burrows had a had a decent season. You liked him to strike out a few more guys and not pitch to contact as much. But they're trying to get him to work lower in the zone instead of uh, elevated. elevated. But he's still got you know the the stuff that you'd like to see from a, a guy in that spot. Tyler Alexander had a really a, a nice year at a couple levels and you know made it to Double A. Uh, he's not going to blow you away with anything. I was going to say he's a pretty. I mean, he is the guy he was when they drafted him, he's but a, a polished. Innings eating back end type left hander. The wild card here is uh, is Mr. Funkhauser at number five, who was a first round talent, you know, a year prior, and they seemed pretty ecstatic to land him in the fourth round. Understandably, because I mean, you are getting a fourth rounder there who at least has flashed. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you if the draft had happened in 2015, in on April 1st, let's say April 2nd. We're not making this a joke, but you know, so what April Fool's Day? But April 2nd. Kyle Funkhauser would have been a top 10 pick in the 2015 draft. Now, unfortunately for Kyle Funkhauser, the reality is, is the draft wasn't held on April 2nd, and when it was held in June, he wasn't a really a first-round pick, and then he came back for his senior year after not signing and was a fourth-round pick. But, I mean, there's stuff there. Right. There's inconsistency as well, and there's inconsistency in the quality of the stuff, but there's stuff there. And if we're honest, I mean... At this point, once you're done with the draft, it's just a line on your bio. Right. He's the the reality of now is is that he gets a chance to go prove what he can do as a Detroit Tiger. Yeah, and scouts who saw him this year in instructs liked him very much. They saw that fastball up to the, the upper 90s again, and you know decent breaking balls. They they were uh, surprised he was a fourth rounder without looking at the bio. The the thing that does stand out though here, and we talked about this a little bit, but why there is reason for hope in Detroit in the intermediate term. Because yeah. this is a farm system ranking and not a young players right. ranking. You have Matt Boyd, you have Michael Fulmer, who was the rookie of the year, uh, which is a nice little get for Yoannis Cespedes. Um, you have and, uh, Daniel and, Norris. And Daniel Norris. I should, I should really remember the that's, Norris. That's, that's three young pitchers that you can very much kind of count on. I mean, that's, that, is, that is the basis for... Uh, something you know to kind of build around, and, and that, that doesn't count that you have also have Jordan Zimmerman and you, Justin Verlander, and Justin Verlander again, a guy who it seems crazy to think, but you know could potentially you know be on the market. I would think if they're completely rebuilding, um, but but that is that is a that's a that's a strong rotational core. Now, Matt Manning is going to be a ways away. Yeah, he's, you know GCL, he, and and. When you talk about the, the rest of the guys in the farm system, Kyle Funkhauser, does he end up as a reliever? I think there's a lot of scouts who think that that's a potential avenue. Tyler Alexander's either going to be a back-end starter or he's not. That He's not a reliever. Yeah, he's, he's, you know, Bo Burrows, okay, we'll see where he... They don't have a, a whole lot of guys who you pencil in in mm-hmm. the farm system, but again, those guys, Michael Fulmer still count. I mean, Michael Fulmer's under cost control. 
for a long time. For a long time. Michael Fulmer, you're not going to be spending big money for Michael Fulmer into the 2020s. So, I mean, that kind of, that is, is valuable for them. On the same time, like when you look at this system, the, the Tigers always have a, uh, a number of, uh, of young, uh, hard-throwing relievers. Uh, some of those work out, some of those do not. I, I do think the, the one I know you were asked about in the chat, uh, Joe Jimenez, who did not make this list. Adam Ravenel did, Joe Jimenez didn't. If you kind of just give people a quick thumbnail of Adam Ravenel versus Joe Jimenez as far as hard-throwing reliever. The difference between Adam Ravenel to me from Joe Jimenez is the quality of the stuff, and that was kind of spelled out to me from inside and outside the organization. Yeah, Adam Ravenel throws a tick harder, but that I mean, he you know he hits triple digits. There, yeah, both of them throw both really upper hard. Upper 90s to triple digits, that's fine. But his slider, uh, I think, is better than Joe Jimenez's slider, and the numbers aren't great for for Ravenel this year, but they were better for Jimenez this year. But talking to people. I think there's more than meets the line score, quite mm -hmm. frankly, for, for Ravenel versus Jimenez. They want uh, Jimenez to tighten up fastball command in the zone. They want him to tighten up that slider to make it closer to uh, above average kind of wipeout pitch. I mean, they didn't even describe it as consistently average, which... Right, you have to have two, I mean, as, as a reliever, you got to end up having to have two pitches most of the time unless your one pitch is an 80. What they want Ravenel to do is, you know, they know he can pitch it, you know, 898 to 102 or, or whatever big number you want to throw out there, but they want him to dial it back. You know, 95 to 97 is still acceptable. And if you can put 95, 97 in the zone, you're going to get swings and misses. And if you keep that slider in, the, in or out of the zone, depending on what you want to do with it. Right, but if you're you get, get well, the key thing misses. is if you get a head account with that fastball, right. then that slider can really play. Right, and I think it was just simply, I think Ravenel, and from what people have described to me, has better stuff than Joe Jimenez. Uh, Joe That's Jimenez is, is going to be a major leaguer, I'd imagine, but I and he's not far off of the yeah, top ten. Yeah, I mean Ravenel is going to start, or not Ravenel, uh, Jimenez is going to start the year at AAA probably, and with a chance of getting there this year, he could be a setup man. So this here's the ten. The other guys in the ten we didn't talk about: Jacoby Jones is six, Mike Gerber is seven, Ravenel is eight, Stephen Moya nine, Derek Hill ten. Who's a guy that you are intrigued by who's not on this top ten? Uh, there's a couple guys I like. Um, <laughs> Joe Menes, let me guess. No, no, not, no. we talked about him. Um, I just finished writing up Jose Azacar, who uh, is a speedy-type outfielder who would be playing center field uh, in, in West Michigan were it not for the presence of Derek, Derek Hill. Hill. Who's really good at center field. He is, and Azacar is really good at center field, too, but doesn't get to play there. Uh, he's got a you know, right fielder's arm, too, which helps. Unfortunately, he does not have a right fielder's power. He has not hit a home run since 2014. Um, and Which is why he profiles better in center field exactly. in the long term. Exactly. Um, he's a slap type hitter with you know 60-65 grade speed that they're trying to get to strike out a little bit less. It's not egregious right now, but he's got quick twitch. He's got speed. He's got an arm. He's got tools, but he needs to separate himself from Derek Hill uh, to, to get more playing time right. in center. And he'll get a chance this year because Derek Hill is recovering from Tommy John surgery. Right. He'll maybe be able to hit, but he's not going to be in the outfield yes. for a decent bit of the season. So if you move him to center field, that changes the equation a little bit. Right. Um, they have a catcher in the lower levels named Arvincent Perez. Yeah, I like Arvincent. Yes. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a nice defender. He's a, he's a solid catcher. I mean, there's a lot of work to do, but they made a point of mentioning him to me that, uh, you know, keep, keep an eye on this guy. They've got a, really, uh, a shorter right-hander in the lower minors named uh, Vladimir Pinto, who's got decent upper 90s fastball with a, an okay slider at this point. That they're, and he's 17 years old, maybe just turned 18. Um, they see maybe a, a late innings reliever type future for him if he's not a starter. Mm -hmm. um, they've got a couple left-handers in uh, Christian Tortosa and Austin Sauters and Gregory Soto. I think those are all left-handers. Who? You know, all have potential here and there. There's a lot of work to do with all of them, but there's guys there, and they have a, a plethora of, of reliever prospects. They uh, always do. They always do. They, I mean, that's one of the things that's always been a draft emphasis for the Tigers is, is that the Tigers draft hard throwers. Sometimes they draft hard throwers who project as relievers, and they try to start them, and sometimes they work, sometimes it doesn't. They end up back in the, back in the pen long term. But that has been kind of a running theme for Detroit, I feel like, for, for years and, and years. But 
as you said, it's not a, a great system, farm system. It is a better if you're doing a under age 25 list. It's a little better than the farm system because you do get, you also, not only the pitchers we just talked about, but you also get guys like Nick Castellanos, which yeah. that's important. I mean, he had, We mentioned to mention him in our young core discussion. Right. So there is a young core there, and obviously if Detroit does do a teardown or even a part of a teardown, the farm system is going to get significantly better because you trade away, you know, a J.D. Martinez or a Victor Martinez or a Kyle Funkhauser or keep going, you know, these guys. You, you know, I, I know, I mean, not Funkhauser, sorry, Justin Verlander. I don't know why I was looking at but Justin Verlander. Kyle Funkhauser, you're not trading right now. But you trade away Justin Verlander, who I would assume at this point has 10-5 rights, but still, you know, the right deal, maybe he moves. Um, you know, you, you, you do have a situation there where you say, okay, the farm system's a lot better now, and this is kind of a young core. And you look at the central, the reality of it is is that just look at where the teams are. Kansas City is headed towards a cliff. I mean, this is the last year of this team, this Kansas City Royals team, because they're all, not all, but a large, large number of them are hitting free agency at the end of the season. The Indians are obviously the Indians, but you look at the White Sox. The White Sox are, are in a rebuild, and they really, to be honest, have less of a young core than the Tigers do. Yeah, and they might trade one of that young core. Right. I mean, which would, two of them. which would help, begin their farm system, but they're further away from contention than a rebuilding Detroit team is. And, you know, you, you kind of look, you really, you look at this division and you say, Detroit, especially because we do also know that Detroit, even if they're minimizing some payroll, still is a bigger spending team than the majority of that division. So It's a bigger spending team than the majority of baseball. So that gives them the opportunity also to rebuild this a little quicker than some other teams because you know with them, if they get, they rebuild and then they're one piece away, they always cut a check. Yeah, I mean, Mike Illich wants a championship. Still waiting. They've been close. Yeah. They've been very close, but still waiting. So for J.J. Cooper and Josh Norris, this ends the Tigers portion of it. We're going to bring in Kyle Glazer, and we're going to talk about Alex Jackson and the trade that happened last night. And so now we do bring in Kyle Glazer, who writes our Mariners top 10, top 30 for the Prospect Handbook. And Kyle, this is your first year doing handbooks. We give you the Mariners, and then the Mariners pretty much every week force you to tear up your already done Mariners top 30. And they did that again last night. You know, that that's, I think actually goes live on the site. The 10 goes live on the site tomorrow. So it's very nice of them to at least do it on Monday evening. But uh, Five trades in 16 days. Five. It's really been a, a hectic couple. It's all involving prospects who, who ranked for them. So We are running a two-issue streak of trades happening on the day the issue goes to press. But thank, you know, in... This one we don't. So this one will not. This one will not be in the issue. But the right. previous one. But was. but the previous one for them was, and we also got the uh, Albert Abreu trade. Got him out of the Astros list just before. Right. So the issue will not have the Mitch Hanniger uh, addition or the Alex Jackson subtraction. It will have the other moves, which but, affected mostly the back end of the of the top thirty. Which so those don't affect the the magazine. The, the magazine. But we will, on when it goes online, the online is live as of the day, so that will have all that. So, but the, the big deal, deal that happened last night, we have the Braves acquiring Alex Jackson, the sixth overall pick in the 2014 draft. Uh, the, was, let's just say, was a consensus. This was not, when Alex Jackson was taken by the Mariners, this was not... Uh, a situation where everyone took a deep gasp and went, wow, he went this high? This was not Hunter Dozier going to the Royals where, okay, you see later on they were saving some money so they could acquire Sean Shaman. Alex Jackson was absolutely consensus, one of the top guys, top high school bats in that draft class. But he, we'll get to the Alex Jackson story. Alex Jackson has not hit. Since then, uh, it, he left his bat in San Diego, unfortunately, in some ways so far. But so the Braves acquire him and a player to be named later, which we don't know the caliber of that player yet. And in return, they send to the Mariners Max Posey, who pitched in high A and double A last year, 
and Rob Whalen, who they acquired in a trade not all that long ago. And uh, Whalen, who is a little closer to the big leagues, is basically a uh, you know a little closer to the big leagues. So let's start with Kyle. What does this do for the Mariners? How does this fit in what the Mariners are trying to do? Well, the Mariners, you have to remember, have not made the playoffs since 2001. It's going on 16 years. And last year, when they went 86 and uh, 76, they were in the playoff playoff race until the very final weekend of the season for a wild card. Their second place finish was their highest in the AOS since 2007. They are closer to ending this postseason drought really in any year since for the last you know 10 years if you look at where they finished in the standings and record wise and how late they were in contention Mm -hmm. the mariners sense this is our opportunity to make some moves to push us over the top and get back to the playoffs and we feel like 2017 is the year we can do it with cano still in his prime nelson cruz still mashing kyle seager in his prime and all these moves even beyond this one you look at the move the trade with the race it was trading guys who were three years away for guys who could maybe help them this coming year as versatile utility guys. You look at the Danny Valencia trade for Paul Blackburn, same deal, a guy who can help them next year for a guy who's a couple years away from helping. Zach Littell for James Pazos, same deal. There's this constant theme, and this was really another one in that. You know, Alex Jackson, independent of you know all his, his, his pedigree and his height, has never advanced past low A and has frankly he's, never he's, succeeded at right. low A. If well, you, for two pitchers, one who just was great in his double A call up and the other who was in the majors last year and led the entire Braves farm system in ERA pitching in the upper level of the minors. So they acquired guys who can help them in 2017 and 2018 more so than someone who might, if some corrections are made, it still not wouldn't have helped them until 2019, 2020 at the earliest. The rosiest scenario with Alex Jackson, if if you say that there's something that clicks with the coaching staff, with the Braves, everything, whatever, and he goes to high A this year and has a really good year in the Florida State League, which I'm having to adjust to the fact that the Braves are in the Florida State League, but in the Florida State League. So that puts him in high A, and let's be honest, he hasn't, Dominated low A to a point where, I mean, he's in high A all year, probably. So that puts him in double A in 2018. You're, yeah, 2019 is the rosiest scenario where Alex Jackson's contributing. And that's, again, you're, you're being optimistic to an extreme degree. Right. So, you know, much less if he catches instead of plays that, out. For that's what I wanted to, to yeah. see. That's, that's the intriguing part. If you, bring him back as a catcher, which is where I got to see him when we, when I joined BA, he was on a team at the World Woodbat in Jupiter, the most prospect stock team, there's a, there's a lineup out there, uh, Nick Gordon, Alex Jackson, Bo Bichette, Sean Reed Foley, uh, David Peterson, Alex Fado, JJ Schwartz, Ryan Mountcastle, all Pretty on good. the same team. Pretty and, solid. And, uh, and, uh, Jackson was the catcher at that time. The thing with Jackson is they've—you have to remember—he was very seriously in consideration for the number one overall. Mm-hmm. This was a guy who was a three-time high school All-American, first player ever to be a two-time Under Armour All-American selection. Did it playing in arguably the deepest and richest mm-hmm. high school baseball region of the country, playing in Division One, the top-flight guys. So it wasn't just like he was playing at a at a. At a monster program that produces right. star after star. So, I mean, everything he wanted was there from profile to how he does in the travel circuit to how he does in the regular game circuit to, you know, when we talk about moving him out from catching, I mean, they thought it was going to be the same idea as Bryce Harper. I mean, where you can take a guy who is a catcher, say, forget it, go play the outfield, focus on your bat, and you'll get up here quickly and be this, you know, emphatic, middle-of-the-order superstar. I mean, Alex Jackson, that was his... Profile. It was a, you know, potential seventy overall player, forty to fifty home runs. I mean, this was a guy that everyone thought had everything you needed to be a lineup anchor for 10, 15 years and lead the league in home runs or be close to it and, while hitting at a respectable pace for a long and time. And this is the baffling thing: is is that there are guys who are top picks and struggle, and when they struggle, you go, okay. That's not, Daz Cameron, I'll give you an example. Daz Cameron 
who the Astros paid $4 million to, uh, you know, basically now a year and a half ago. He was one of the top guys in that draft class, outfielder, center fielder. But even coming into the draft, you could find scouts who say, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure about the bat. I've seen him in showcases where I'm not convinced that this is all going to come together. The baffling thing with Alex Jackson is, is that Alex Jackson, as you said, I mean, he had a track record of hitting for average and power against top-level high school competition. On the showcase circuit, he had a track record of hitting for making contact and hitting for power on the showcase circuit. This wasn't someone who, there were questions about the defensive position. When we talk about him as a catcher, it's worth acknowledging it was not a slam dunk that if a team drafted him as a catcher, it, I would describe him as a Will Myers catcher. And what I mean by that is, is that it's not that he, I mean, people may forget now, but Will Myers was actually on, at one point on the same team with Salvador Perez catching. And pretty much that was the deciding factor. Will Myers looked at this and said, I, the way it's been described to me is, is I'm never going to be this guy as a catcher. So I'm probably better off moving to the outfield and taking advantage of my athleticism. Alex Jackson, you could find guys who say, who scouts who said at the time, this guy can catch. It's going to take some work, but he can catch. And you'd find other guys who say, if you catch him, because everyone believed in the bat, if you catch him, it's really going to slow him down. And that's, and that's, you know, obviously the debate you have anytime you're talking about prospects like this. And again, I go back to Will Myers. I go back to Bryce Harper was a pretty good Oh, catcher. Bryce Harper could – Bryce Harper <laughs> – I will say this. There was much more confidence in Bryce Harper's catching ability than Will Myers or Alex Jackson. Right. Because with Bryce Harper, I mean, the arm was exceptional. Right. With Bryce Harper, it was just that the bat was so exceptional that you really – the worry was you were going to wear – you were gonna it down, you know. Let you were gonna cost. Play. Yeah, I'm saying that that mindset. Not mm-hmm. saying Alex Jackson yeah. was Bryce Harper because he wasn't, but I mean that that mindset is is not dissimilar. You know where it really went wrong and and where this came from. I mean, was simply that we talk as much as we want about guys. Oh, they have this track record, but facing high school pitchers, no matter how good they are on the showcase circuit, is not the same as facing professionals, even in a ball who. Can throw multiple pitches for strikes, can mm-hmm. read you know one or two swings from you, and pick apart your weaknesses. And you have to be able to adjust. You have to be able to adjust your swing path, your where you're putting holding your hands, your timing mechanism. Baseball is constantly a game of adjustments, and more than anything else, that's what kills careers. It's not lack of talent. It's I can't make an adjustment to be consistently productive. And that's where Alex Jackson really ran into problems, you know. And some people will say it's because he had so much success when he was younger, he never realized he had to adjust or was resistant to making adjustments. He was resistant to making adjustments. Yes. That I is, don't think there's any question about that. That is on the record from multiple people. Um, but at the same time, you know, he also wouldn't be the first person to have some initial resistance and then pick it oh. up. And, and, and so there's still this, this hope, this sense that maybe it would work, but... You know, I think one of the deciding factors was the Mariners had a new regime in this year. A lot of guys who hadn't seen him before, it was a fresh start, you know, were ready to give him a shot. And he just didn't take it at all in spring training to the point they sent him to extended, which, as you wrote, was literally unprecedented for a first-round, non-suspended, healthy infielder-outfielder to not be in his second season assigned to a team. And they flat-out said he needs to earn his promotion. Right. He, We're not just he has not it. earned it, which is, I mean, I give them, I, I understand why they did it, but that is, that is, that is glaring in many ways because. Well, it's just simply for the fact it's never happened in this millennium. Right. This, this century, I mean, in this century, I didn't go back and look at every draft pick from 1965, but in this century, 21st century, the only other player position player, first high school first-round pick, who wasn't on a full-season roster in his second full season, was Jossale, and he was suspended. He didn't have a choice. Right. So, so that's it. And then, you know, it's funny, as I, you know, I joined BA mid-summer, and one of my first assignments was, hey, Mariners mid-season update. And so I made some calls, and you could 
here's some of the guys. By this point, Jackson had been bumped to Clinton. Mm-hmm. And was starting to show some things. At the time, I spoke a little bit with, of power. with their farm director and whatnot. You know, he had put together in June or July, it was, a really good stretch of 100 at-bats. They talked about he was kind of responding to coaching. He was sort of more online with his team and understanding, you know, what needed to happen. And some of that was because it was a winning team without him. So he realized, okay, these guys know what they're doing. I want to help as opposed to, you know, these guys that, you know, they're losers. They don't know what's happening. I'm going to do my own thing. So there was an improvement in mindset. He took to coaching better. And you saw an improvement where he had a stretch where he had, a, I want to say, six or seven home runs and about 100 at-bat stretch. He was driving the ball more. He was striking out less. You saw the improvements. And then as soon as it started getting good, he fell backwards. You know, mm-hmm. his final run of the season was not good at all. He hit only two home runs his final seven weeks of the season. The average dropped. The strikeouts went back up. He fell back into a lot of the old bad habits. And it was really interesting talking to people inside the Mariners organization the difference between the tone in three to four months, you know, at mid-season it was some Optimistic. optimism, some hopefulness, even a little bit of excitement. You know, we're seeing him do some things. He's making this and, and all good. And then talking to them after the season, it was, you know, he needs to decide if he wants this. He's never been good. Forget over, you know, a full season, never even close to a full season. No, he's I mean, never, never done it. He's never shown the ability to make the adjustments, hold the adjustments, consistently produce. And, you know, frankly, talking to a lot of scouts out there, uh, you know, opposing scouts, they still say, hey, he's still got, you know, the plus raw power. But we're talking about. But that's the only, right now, that's the only tool that plays. Well, he has an arm. Yeah, he's got the arm. He's got the arm. plays. But. Have, but he's not a good outfielder. Talking about, eh, it, some of it's his focus. Again, he is athletic. <laughs> he can make plays. Right. And he's, you know, the real consensus is he's not atrocious out there, but he has to be into it and care. And then on top of that, I mean, we're talking about a guy who, you know, we're not talking about fringe average hit grades or even below average hit grades. We're talking scouts throwing 20s on it, 30s on it, just because everything from the bat path to the approach to what, you know, he – Ability to make adjustments from pitch to pitch. His body language in the box. I mean, there is nothing positive that was said about his ability to hit present or future. And there was a sense that a lot of that was attitude-based. And, you know, and, and, and again, it just reinforced that when I spoke with people inside the Mariners organization after the year, when, you know, they weren't as critical. But it was pretty clear that, hey, you know, he needs to decide if he really wants this. Well, and he was on, and what I was told about his assignment next year was, again, you know what? I mean, he, we're not just going to put him in high A because he played most of the year at low A. It was, he has improvements. He needs to make this offseason. And if he does that, then we'll put him in high A. But it was, not, you know, there's some guys you talk to him about, and they already know, yeah, this guy's oh, yeah. going to be bumped next year. He'll, you know, we like what he did here. He'll go here. Yeah, maybe here. But Alex Jackson, it was pretty clear that. He had to show them something in addition to what he showed them to not go back to low A for a third straight year, and the onus was on him. And I but, think it just said at a certain point, you know what, we're better off getting two pitchers who have proven themselves at higher levels, who can help us sooner, and it's a fresh start for everyone. The, the thing that, that also stands out to me about this is this is one of the, I would say it is an advantage of a new regime. When a new regime comes in, they are not wedded to anything that's happened in the past. And so you look at Jerry DePoto's basically time as, you know, leading the Mariners. The fact that Alex Jackson was a top 10 pick is... He got a $4.2 million right. signing, one of largest for a prep in Mariners history. All of that is really irrelevant to <laughs> where the Mariners are going into 2017. And... So what that means is, is now again, as you said, this wasn't something that that group arrived and on day two traded Alex Jackson. But what it did mean is, is that, I don't know what to say it is, is they looked at it and said, Alex Jackson still has value now. And there is a good chance with what we're seeing, if this doesn't change in 2017, he will have very little value. Because the reality of it is, is, to take a worst case scenario of it, as you said, 
if they ended up sending him back to low A in 2017 and he played fine and got a midseason promotion to high A and he was adequate, there's very little value left there because at that point you are three and a half years away from when he was drafted. The, 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 the time on what he did as an amateur mattering that time is getting smaller and smaller. I mean, that, that window where that, because yes, it is true and it all is true, but kind of how you just summed it up very well, the hope, I, I understand completely why the Braves made this trade. Now I do want to talk about their side in a minute. The, for the Braves, the hope is, is that you are getting a guy who was legitimately a top 10 talent, not a one team thought. Like, you could say top five talent. Top five talent potentially. six just because right. of some money. Right. So yeah. all that works where you're talking about a guy who you could say was a top five talent in that draft. And the hope is that there's a couple of possibilities. There's a couple of paths to success for Alex Jackson. One is maybe he goes back behind the plate, which they are, the Braves. They're smart people. I know they're talking about that. There's a reason to do that. Because if you said, because even then, if he, was, if he caught and he went back to low A next year, not a problem. Learning a new position, getting comfortable at it. Let's see what you do. Focus on that. You know, and because the reality of it is, is the bat that he's shown for all the warts and all, if he is a 50 defender with a plus, with a plus arm, that bat plays as a catcher. Some pop. Exactly. He at worst, then you're talking backup. Yet again, if the defense can get there, you're talking about at least backup catcher potential with backup catcher profile, power, solid defense, strong arm. Okay. And the interesting thing that when I was doing my end of season calls, someone floated to me the theory that you know the Mariners, in hindsight, it made perfect sense at the time to move into the outfield, mm -hmm. but in hindsight. You know, you second guess a little bit moving him out from behind the plate because they were talking about what they noticed was, you know, before if Alex Jackson had a bat at bat, he didn't have time to dwell on it. He, you know, he had to get with his mm -hmm. pitcher. He had to get back behind the plate. He had to call his game. He had to handle the run. Right. Game. He didn't have time to think and dwell. You didn't have to dwell on. You didn't. If you struck out three times, but you caught a good game, you still had something you could focus on positively. Right. And even just the the moment to moment, you know, just you know, move on, keep moving forward. When in the outfield, you're standing there a lot. You've got a lot of time to think. You've got a lot of time to overanalyze. You've got a lot of time to get angry. And I think that, I thought it was interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way, but when someone whose baseball knowledge and assessment of players I trust very deeply talked about this, it kind of opened up a possibility to me as, okay, you know, maybe that is something. So maybe, mm -hmm. just maybe, you, you go back and you throw them back there and, and see, what, see if it works. I mean, there's no, there's no harm from the Braves in this. And right. That's, yeah, I know that, that's, what, that's what I want to say. To wrap this up, like, okay, now let's look at it from the Braves' standpoint. On the Braves' side, they traded... Max Posey is... You know, Rob Whalen is, to be honest, he's a 10th, he's a 11th guy probably on a pitching staff, which, not that there's not value to that, especially when they're cost-controlled, and he's cost-controlled. I think the idea was, you know, kind of that ground ball-oriented spot starter, long man, who, you know, it's never sexy, but guess what? Very few teams get through a season with the same five starters they had at the, at the beginning of the year. Right. There's, you need guys who can come in, you know, give you five or six good starts. Right. E e three, either that or he's a relief, you know, or e comes in. Three or four innings in an extra inning game. I mean, those things that aren't beautiful, but they're helpful. They help right. you win ball there, There's value to those guys, but at the same time, they're also, they're, they're, they're not guys that you basically live or die on acquiring or trading away. But uh, Posey, I think there, there definitely is some but, potential there. But, but, but again, even in the Braves, but in the but, Braves hierarchy, you know, he's going to But Posey, there. there's potential. Here's the concerns. The fastball, the fastball ranges from, and he takes some on, puts some on, takes some off. You can see him on days where it's a well below average fastball. I mean, we, he was for, we were fortunate. He was in Carolina, so we saw him a good bit. And on the days that it's good, it's much more of an average fastball. Really, when it's never better than that. I saw him in the Cal Carolina League also. It was 1992. So again, I saw 86 to 89. Right. Josh Norris was at a game where he was started out 84 to 87, ended up at 89. But I would say that if you put it over the course of a season, 88 to 92. 
Um, he'll touch a three or four, but that's not where he pitches. And there is some concern because the velocity does vary somewhat. And somewhat you're trying to figure out how much of that is intentional, how much of that is unintentional, all that. Um, he's a back end again. The reality of it is is that if you project him out, he is probably he's probably a top 10 prospect. We'll find out tomorrow, everyone. But he's probably a top 10 prospect in the Mariners organization. But he's a back-end starter. If you look at the Braves and say, can you trade away Max Posey? Again, we don't know what they're getting back as a player to be named also. For the chance, Max Posey has a very good chance of being a big leaguer. Very good. I would say that Max Posey at this point, he's a pitcher, but if we're just randomly throwing probabilities on it, there is a 75, 85% chance that Max Posey is a big leaguer of some sort, and there's a 30 to 50% chance that he is, uh, you know, start is basically at some point making 15 starts at a big league. You know, okay. Alex Jackson at this point probably is, has a 75 to 80% again, and then this is a little bit ballparking. There's an 80% chance probably that Alex Jackson's never a big leaguer. That's just reality. There's, there's not a track record of guys having his development path and going to long-term success usually. But there's a 15, 20, maybe 25% chance that he puts it all together. And there is all-star potential in there right. if well, it all comes together. And it, and it made sense to talk about the organizations where their, their depth was. The Mariners have a lot of right-handed power hitters in Tyler O'Neill and now Kyle Lewis and DJ Peterson, who's back on track. While the Braves, you, you, you have him uh, back on track. Yeah. I have him as but, but still, that was a that was still a league average year in the PCL for a guy who only the, is a DH. The point is, there's First bodies as, as opposed to the Braves. They need right-handed power. They had pitching to trade from, and, and as we mentioned, Posey and Whalen were not going to crack their future. You know, top five, top ten. So it made sense for both teams, and I think this is a deal that you look at, you see absolutely where both teams were coming from. You see the you know, the thinking on both sides, and I don't think either of it is faulty. You know what, if the Braves, you know, sometimes, you know, you get Alex Jackson, new system, just a fresh start, and maybe it's a Kickstarter, as I wrote in the trade write-up yesterday. Maybe it is. Here's the concern. Being held back and extended didn't serve as a full-season well, kickstart. Right, it did briefly. It did briefly, but didn't, it didn't stick, and that's a concern. You know, again, but maybe, and, and he's also had two different, again, these are all concerns, is, is that this is not the same guys telling him the same things and it never clicked. He had an original Mariners regime, he had an entirely new farm director, and new coaches. new coaches, and they still had some of the same issues. So he's already gone through one Basically, change of scenery. In fairness, even with you know, still the struggles, there's still about a thirty point across the board increase in his slash. No, he but it just went from two ten to two forty. So it's not like it, it was the, going right. You know, no, the power, still, the power was. I mean, again, I think it was basically. If you looked at it, it was an above average season for the Midwest League last year. Mm. I think it was a one twenty weighted run created. So now that's again half season. It wasn't a full season, but that was with low average. And that was with a 30% strikeout rate. And again, and that was with him being a year late to the league. And you don't throw out the fact that the year before he was there and he failed. I mean, again, I'm not trying to be harsh about it, but he was demoted from Clinton because he did not hit at all. And he also was leaving behind a trail of scouting reports where bad, you know, like concerns about body language, makeup, and all were prevalent. So again, I'm not trying to bash Alex Jackson, but it is, I mean, the Braves know what they're getting. The Braves know that they're getting a chance at, uh, it is, they have pitching depth. Uh, I could, I could easily, again, this is not a knock on Max Posey, but Max Posey is realistically at best, if you talk about pitching prospects, not just starting pitching prospects, ninth, 10th best on the Braves list is as, I think, as aggressive as you could possibly go. Um, there was five starters in Rome's rotation who are better prospects than him. There's three guys that they drafted in the first round or the supplemental first round, paid a lot of money to this year, who are better prospects than him. And There's Sean Newcomb, who's 
and was above and is a better prospect. And, that, and that's where you'll see the difference. You know, he's you know at best uh, ninth, tenth best pitcher pitching prospect in the Brave system, as we'll see in the Mariners' top ten tomorrow. Just because of the difference of the systems, the different strengths of the mm-hmm. systems, he's much higher in terms of starting. Right. Pitching he's pitch. not. He's not Gohara. But no. Well, I, said, I don't want to spoil exactly yeah. where he's going to be. Right. But no, he's not number one, but he's also he, he's, not he was, number ten. Right. He's 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 at a respectful position and a guy who again, it's one thing to be at a respectful position, but be you know in low A and three years away. He was fantastic in Double A. Has a real solid chance to begin the year in Tacoma, depending on if he takes some steps forward and you know gets. And you're in the. I mean, the reality is, when you've had success at Double A, the call can come in any time. Right. If there, there is, it's not inconceivable, especially for a team that's just traded away. Tywin Walker has a little bit less, you know, a little bit less starting pitching depth than it did. It is, and has James Paxton, who, let's be honest, if you. You're counting on 20 starts a year from James Paxton. It's hard. It is very hard at this point to pencil in 35, 33, 30 starts for James Paxton because there's probably going to be, I mean, the knees and all that, there's going to be an injury at some point. With that all being the case, Max Posey, it's not inconceivable that the season will start next year and you'll look and see Max Posey in that rotation. That's not how they're planning it to go. But an injury here or there, there aren't that many guys standing in the way. Either way, I think you know. It, again, it fits with the theme of let's get some guys in here who can help us this year. Whether that's Richie Schaefer, Taylor Motter, Max Posey, James Pazos, even if they start the year in AAA, they're on the verge and can be up at some point and help us win ball games in 17 and presumably 2018 as well. Then you add that in with you know the Dan Vogelbox of the world and uh, the Tyler O'Neills. I mean, guys who were in the system before this trading spree. And are also you know, double A, triple A guys. I, I think it's pretty clear to see the Mariners are, are going for it without going too crazy. I mean, they're still keeping their right. Best this is prospects. they have not made a trade here where you say they're going all in and they're mortgaging the future. Right. I mean, they're. I do believe in their evaluation. They look at it and say, we're not just talking about that. Max Posey is going to be more valuable in 2017. They believe. That Max Posey and Rob Whalen, you add them up, are going to be more powerful, more productive in the long term. The Braves, in making the same deal, know that they're basically giving up as far as big league production in 17, but they look at it and say, I mean, this is what the Braves do. The Braves are an upside organization, and that's why they went out and got Tuki Toussaint. That's why they've gone out and got Travis Demerit. That's why they've got Dustin, you know, all. These guys are, they're going to take big swings. Mm-hmm. And the reality of it is, is that, I mean, the amount, the amount of first-round picks, former first-round picks that they've acquired, you know, in trade is insane. <laughs> and it is. It is a farm system, you know, to wrap this up. I mean, you look at this farm system, and it is not a farm system. You look at, to me, like... The, the greatest farm systems of my time at Baseball America, you got the Royals one because they had Hosber, Moustakis, Myers, Montgomery, you know, Duffy, Lamb. You had, again, it was top 25 prospects, top 10 prospects. And then you have the Cubs, or, the Cubs of a couple of years ago, where you had Chris Bryant, Addison Russell, Kyle Schwarber, uh, Jorge Soler, who okay, has not worked out as well. But, you know, you had a, Baez, Bi- Javier Baez. Yeah, you, you had... I think was basically had graduated that previous year, but you know, it's still part of that same group. And what you had again, you had top five, top ten, top fifteen prospects. They have Swanson, they have Alves, but that's not where the Braves are yet. I mean, when you talk about this is not an all time farm system yet, because the guys they have are a lot of low A guys, a lot of guys who are in rookie ball. That being said, when you talk about the depth of this organization, when you talk about guys who you could make a case for a top 100 spot, that list goes really, really deep. And now what we'll see is, is I mean, this is an organization that could be a year from now in that kind of position if these guys all take a step forward. And, and that's the risk, you know, all these guys are talking about. There's also significant risk, whether it's injuries, whether it's performance, whether it's just 
something and that's and that's kind of the bet you take sometimes you know can we take a bunch of 19 20 year olds who for whatever reason need a fresh start and get them on track and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but if you're the Braves I can see the reasoning behind making that bet for sure and even when they work out I mean one thing about it is it's easy to understand we've been there never prospects but one of the formative things for me was when I was covering the making Braves in the late 90s because I'm old um, but 2017 the 97 Braves had a starting rotation of basically the majority of whom were top 100 guys. They had Bruce Chen, they had Jason Marquis, they had Rob Bell, who a lot of people listening to don't even probably remember, but Rob Bell was a fastball curveball guy, was a very significant prospect. Top 100 guy was traded, ended up being traded to the Reds. They had Jimmy Osting, they had Jason Shield, they had a guy, Luis Rivera, came up at the end of the year who had the best stuff of all of them, but then got hurt. Those were all guys. Five, they had five guys in that rotation who pitched in the big leagues. Which, and then they had Odalis Perez was in the bullpen, and he started in the big leagues. So they had six guys who pitched, and then David Cortez was in that bullpen too. So they had seven guys who pitched in the big leagues from that group. But Bruce Chen, who was the Sally League Pitcher of the Year that year as the left-hander, he had a great career. Like, he pitched for a long time. He was a middle to back of the rotation starter. Jason, Jason Marquis probably had the best career. Jason Marquis probably had the best career, but Jason Marquis was never an ace. Jason Mar- but, but my point being, though, that was a very that was a low, that was a ex- outstandingly successful low A starting pitching staff. But things happen, you know. That's and so that's where when you say where the Braves are now, well, a year from now, home again, if we're talking about that Rome rotation and they do the same thing in High A and they make it to Double A, well, then we're talking a different story. If you know again, because then they'll have the next wave, which is the Ian Andersons and the uh, you know Joey Wentz's and all the world who will be in Rome probably this year. And then you know, and then okay, if Austin Riley does the same thing again, if Austin Riley does the same thing in Double A, then the concerns about okay, well, how good a hitter is he going to be start to diminish. If Sean Newcomb, if we're still waiting, but if Sean Newcomb starts throwing more strikes, you know, all that. But again, Alex Jackson, this is let's take a big swing, and let's. Deal from a strength, pitching depth, and see if we can get an impact bat. And no, I, I think it's a well worth a trade. I mean, this is that's the thing. Now, as much as we've talked about Alex Jackson and his flaws, I don't in any way, shape, or form think this is a poor deal for the Braves. I really like this deal for both teams. You know, filling spots of need, and you understand the reasoning and the logic. And now you just have to let it play out. Yeah. So, well, that. Well, it was a very extended, that was fun. That was an extended <laughs> discussion of uh, the Alex Jackson trade. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Josh. And we hope you enjoyed this Tigers talk and Braves and Mariners talk. Uh, we will be back. We plan to be back again tomorrow. We're trying to do these while still cranking out uh, top 10s and top 30s. But uh, we thank you for the download, and we will talk to you again tomorrow here on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.